faux ship. Faux ship. That's actually a word. Like I didn't, I didn't actually know that, but I looked it up, and it's it's a word. A condition of possessing an enemy or enemies. So we are going to be uh, kind of piggybacking off of our last couple of podcasts on the idea of friendship, and we're going to be looking at the other side of that, which is foeship. And what does the Bible say about that? What is a theology of having enemies um, and discerning enemies and then uh, obviously treating enemies? This looks like it's going to be another two-parter. I've got in the studio today uh, Justin Ebert, who works in our student ministries, and, and Ryan Vincent, who works in our adult ministries. Um, and in a time where there is increased animosity and frustration, um, argumentation, um, standoffs with one another, what does it look like for us to do that in the spirit and in the words of Christ? Hope you'll find this podcast helpful, helpful and beneficial. Did you have any nemesis? Did you have a nemesis, Justin? Like, was there? Was there I do like now. A, you do Me now. Sitting at this table. I. I Listen, that's we're already very aware of that. Uh, for those of you that have been following this kind of line of podcasts, uh, we did a two-part series on friends. And Ryan, you actually explained how yeah. Justin is your biggest enemy and your best friend. Yeah, he's my best and worst friend at the same time. At the same time. So, did you have a did you have a nemesis? I don't know that I had like a person as much as I created a person in whatever moment I was in. Okay. So in sports, I was. I was so in hockey. From what I understand, there's a goon. Yeah, I was the goon on whatever team I was. Okay, what's the goon? So is there? So a goon is like goon. a guy that is. Uh, it's his responsibility to fight everybody on the other team. Oh, the enforcer. The inf- they, now the they enforcer. call him the enforcer, but literally, it's it's more of a goon. They called him a goon. So, so you that were, doesn't you were the goon you. on the on the mound, on the baseball team, on the football team, on the whatever. Okay, but baseball, you have like a goon. I mean, you usually somebody's got that'll throw at people. Okay, somebody's got to be the guy that pegs some dude. Somebody's got to be the person that is willing to. So it sounds like you're the nemesis of a number yes. of individuals. I, I was the most hated player on the other team. I was. I, I hate this this comparison because I do not like this player. I was the Draymond Green of our teams. It's like if you're playing with Draymond, you love Draymond, but if your Draymond's not on your team, you definitely don't like Draymond. So okay. well, okay. That, that's gonna be that's gonna be kind of fun to to. I'm going to have to try to come back to this because, you know, we're here pro- talking about the issue of um, enemies of the cross, which then become enemies of the gospel, which are obviously then enemies of those of us who are for the cross and for the gospel. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I haven't really been thinking or preparing about us, like us as the enemies of somebody else, but maybe that's, maybe that needs to come into it. Um, how about you, Mr. Mr. Simple? Mr. Simple, Ryan Vincent, what do you what do you got? Were you, was it was there a, was there a nemesis? Was there someone that you were always at odds with growing up? I don't think I have anybody that I was always at odds with growing up. I, I was a little bit of a social chameleon. I could blend into most friend groups, and i i uh, I probably had a lot of shallow friendships. Just <laughs> I was Facebook. I had many friendships everywhere. None of them all that meaningful. Um, but there, but right it, now, there's like somebody that thought you were his best friend and is, <laughs> is just crying. Somebody in Claremore just I had their we life were, ruined. I thought we were close. Well, you did think you that. did think that. Um, I didn't say you were correct in that assumption. <laughs> um, so no, I didn't have any like long running nemesis. But um, but I it, when it came to sports, I was definitely the guy that had no problem. Um, I was more like the pest. I like I would try to just annoy people and irritate them. Um, so I kind of had this, this quality that had no interest in like 
being liked by the other team. Yeah, and yeah. so um, in baseball, I came in with the spikes up. I, I was not interested in like the decorum of the game. I, Probably I was, a lot of comments, I'm sure. I had words. <laughs> <laughs> said things on base paths. So again, you were the enemy. Yes. <laughs> so this isn't even so much that you were this well-behaved human who, uh, no. who had other misbehaving individuals frustrated with you. I don't even know if I'm allowed to share the story on air, but one of the things no, no, I no, remember from no, your no, past. that's actually when you start with that, we're good. Okay, I'm just <laughs> so, saying. No, I know no, for a fact no, you would do things just to ruin people's particular relationships with others, and just as a game. And I think that would make you an enemy of a few folks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, for the record, these are all pre-redemptive. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. Totally, totally. But so, yeah, like they're. At times, you know, buddies of mine dated girls that I just did not like. And I, I was not the kind of guy that kept that information close to the chest. Okay. I made it very clear that I'm not your biggest fan. And I can't wait until your relationship is over. Well, I'll tell you this. Where this is actually going to be helpful for this podcast is because as we talk about the issue of our enemies and our foes, um, obviously the words of Christ are going to be the kind of the, the foundation, the basis of how we move forward. So to remember that we have done things that are wrong or inappropriate or we've had attitudes or we've been the enemy of others and justifiably on their end for there to be uh, animus against us really maybe is, is, is part of the reason why. Animus. Yeah. I like that word. Yeah. So I guess it, it really does seem, makes, seem to make sense. So the first question I want to ask you guys is we as we try to develop not only a theology of friendship from the previous two podcasts, but now a theology of, of foeship, <laughs> uh, a, a theology of how to deal with what the Bible would refer to uh, of, of enemies, I first want to ask you, Ryan, why is it important that we remember that we have enemies? Like, why is that actually like a critical thought for us to be constantly aware of? Um, and in some sense, to be to be discerning and yeah. to be, when I say looking for, I don't mean trying to find, but trying to discern the enemies that exist uh, in our in our lives or um, in our community. Yeah. Well, the the first and foremost, we have to remember that the Bible um, doesn't like to talk about middle ways. It's it's yep. it speaks in um, pretty dichotomous terms. So there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of heaven, and then there's the kingdom of darkness. Um, and to to become a Christian, to swear an allegiance to Jesus is to um, you, you can think of it almost in military terms. It's to defect from the kingdom of darkness, to lay down your arms yep. um, on that side of things, cross the uh, the the DMZ, so to speak, yeah, and yeah. and now you are you are a, a citizen and a combatant for the kingdom of heaven, which means by definition. There is an there is opposition. There are opponents, and uh, now the trick becomes what happens when sometimes you sense that those people may actually be within the church, yeah. and, and maybe we'll talk about that more here in a little bit. But fundamentally, to be a Christian is to be a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of this world, and therefore we are in many ways at odds with those who have rejected Jesus. I've wondered about the um, uh, I've lived long enough to when I was a kid sing songs. I'm in the Lord's army. Yeah, uh, and so that kind BBS of that battle songs. imagery, uh, onward Christian soldiers, um, and then there was like a strong period of time in which those metaphors were considered to be somewhat inappropriate mm-hmm. um, and and even offensive, like for those of us that really want to take the teachings of Christ seriously. Um, and, Be interested and, to see the connection between that 
incoming sentiment in the church growth period. Well, yeah, no, no, no. I think I think there is like a, a little bit of a of a domestication. I think of of the of the Christian message and the Christian themselves. But then, what does that actually mean? Like, if we want to take away the battle imagery, then that seems to almost imply that there isn't an enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, and we we almost want to see everybody as 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 not as not uh, as not being an enemy. But I think it's important that we recognize that they exist. Justin, anything you want to add to the no, to, the, to think, the reason to recognize or to the reason to discern? Yeah, no, the, the things you guys said, I believe, number one, we have to talk like this because the Bible talks like this if we're Bible-devoted people. And so to just not do that, to ignore something that is there from beginning to end, from beginning, truly beginning to end, um, is not justifying the text. And also, when you lose enemies— when you lose the concept and the category of enemies, you're not prepared to actually live or to um, to fight well. Like that's the one of the yeah. best tactics of an enemy to come in and make you think that they're your friend. Yeah, yeah. So if I am I if I'm an enemy to someone, probably, uh, and I have to subvert something. The probably the best tactic isn't just for me to come in guns blazing, but to like get close to you. Yeah. And to make you have your guard down, and then it's an easy battle. I don't have to break a sweat. Yeah, we don't like the offensive, uh, and not like offensive that hurts my feelings, but more like offensive, yep. Yep. moving toward the enemy. We that that language becomes distasteful for us. It feels imperialistic and like Christian colonialism. But whenever you whenever you lay down that ability, you also kind of forget that you're giving up the ability for the defensive, and, yeah. and that's yep. where. Uh, you have a lot of worldliness, I think, creep into the church because we've we've kind of laid down the arms we're supposed to be yeah, honing yeah. And, and wielding in some sense. Well, and I'll tell you, it, it, to me, I think it's also uh, both theologically but also relationally and obviously maybe even intellectually lazy to get rid of a category that the Bible exists or the Bible says exists to remove that category and to try to, uh, to take away the distinction that is going to be necessary in order for us to be on the offensive or on the defensive to just try to treat everybody the same is just in a sense easy because it takes no discernment. And I think the discernment is a big thing. So now, now moving forward, okay, there is one. So then how do we, how do we recognize them? Because you know, this, this is where I think some differentiation. So, Going back to your analogy, Ryan, the idea that uh, there is this battle and we need to recognize that we've left one side, we go through the DMZ, and then all of a sudden we're on the we're on a, we're on a different side. So does that mean everybody that's not <laughs> should we consider everyone who's not a follower of Christ as our enemy? Like is is that the is that the paradigm then? Again, every analogy breaks down. I think it's good yeah. for us to be able to willing to use an analogy and say, well, it, it's a little more complicated than that. So. Either either keep, keep, either keeping with the analogy or taking on some new ones. How do we uh, recognize those which are truly foes? I think our primary enemy, textually, is an enemy that we don't always see, and it's a spiritual battle that takes place. It's something that a battle that took place before even the story of humanity began, and um, and. It, the spiritual realm that we're talking about, we just don't know a lot about. And then when we get pic, um, pictures into the spiritual realm through the text of the Bible, um, it's just limited information, but we know it's there. So Ephesians 6 says that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and 
Paul uses those kind of phrases to talk about the spiritual realm, the devil and yeah. his demons, yeah. those who, yeah. um, beings that were created um, in this angelic spiritual realm that rebelled against God in a similar way to how Adam and Eve rebelled against God, um, but they were cast out in a similar way, again, um, rejected God, and they became an enemy, and that's the primary, and that manifests itself in real ways, like with real people. And so I do, I do think like a person who has rejected God and his word is, some, is not part of our family, and in that sense is also not a friend of God. So for us to somehow say, yeah, they're our brother or they're our friend, yeah, that's I, I don't think Jesus would consider them that. And yeah. So why yeah. should yeah. we do something Jesus is unwilling yeah. to do? That's yeah. interesting. Or and, brother in the sense of we're all in the brotherhood of man, but we're not in the brotherhood of Christ. And it's kind of having those kind of distinctions. Right. One's yeah. even probably more, even though one's more basal than the other, one's more important yeah. than the other. Yeah. Yeah. At yeah. our base, yes, we are uh, we are in the humanity brotherhood, but in eternity yeah. we're not in the same brotherhood. And it's it's recognizing that both exist, both both levels exist. Going back to the analogy, I, I wonder if it's, let's say, uh, America goes to war against Canada. Um, it'll be a close one. Uh, it's for, for almost no amount of time. Uh <laughs> There is, there are those who are combatants, right? And we fight combatants. And then there are those who are just on the other side, but are not combatants. They're civilians. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if, you know, again, trying to run with the analogy, if there's not like a, a difference that actually exists. So sure, there are enemy, but we don't treat all of our enemies in the same way, or right. we don't even necessarily even think of them in the in the same way. I guess that's that's a really good distinction because somebody who is a vocal enemy or even a physical enemy, uh, you know, let's say in India right now, there's a lot of persecution of the church. Yeah. And so it, it's not yeah. even like yeah. being hidden. It's just yeah. you're it's a Christian. Yeah. We are going to come and we're attacking you. So it's verbal, social, economic, physical, all these things. And that person we almost treat differently than like this person, our neighbor, who isn't mean, yep. isn't unkind, yep. is, not, is not doing anything actively yep. to like yep. persecute me or make They're me suffer They're actually in some ways a friend. Yes. A, yeah. In, in yeah. that sense, like Jesus does yep. seem to say, yep. who is your neighbor? Yeah. Your neighbor is like the humans that are around you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so in that sense, we do have a category of, of like different types of people who are like Jesus goes after those Pharisees who knew better. Yeah. And were acting in an ungodly way. We're making yeah. themselves enemies of God. Yeah. And I, so there is a good nuance there that I, I appreciate. So there. So, Ryan, you know, Justin's describing this this first enemy, uh, Ephesians 6. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of this dark age. Yeah. Um, anything is, as we kind of move down into the levels, you know, so what, 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 what else do we need to be thinking about in terms of enemies? Um, yeah, it's in terms of recognizing them. I think everyone's an enemy. <laughs> well, I mean, Romans five, while we were enemies, Christ. Died. So like it, it doesn't say while you were actively opposing the gospel, it's, Apart from the cross of Christ and allegiance mm-hmm. to him, you are an enemy of God. And I think sometimes my tendency for sure is to um, sterilize that a little bit, whitewash it a little bit and say, well, no, actually they're my neighbor. Yeah. Actually, your neighbor is an enemy of God, even if he is a very kind man. Yeah. He's an enemy of God. Stands now, opposed to. Stands opposed to. Um, and so now uh, that doesn't mean that 
I treat him and Sam Harris in the same light. Sure. Right? The, sure. the notorious atheist. Um, so this we're going to quickly, I think, find ourselves when it comes to spiritual warfare and when it comes to the proclamation of and defense of the gospel, we're going to find ourselves in the uh, in the wisdom and discernment weeds pretty quickly. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I, I, I think there is a, there's probably a stronger tendency in most of us to um, alleviate the need to talk about people as enemies of God and therefore as citizens of the kingdom, as servants of God, they have to be our enemies too yeah. in, uh, in that sense. Right, but yet Jesus says, "Love your enemies." Jesus says, "Yeah, this person is your neighbor." Yeah, yeah. Instead of removing the categories, it's almost like no, just deepen your theology. Yeah, and add layers of discernment. I think I think any kind of reductionistic uh, conclusion uh, or reductionistic application is just not. It, it it doesn't add the robustness necessary to deal with all the different kinds of quote unquote enemies. Yeah, because even in Romans five, whenever it says that while we were still enemies, it doesn't stop with, "Hey, look, I put everybody in the category of enemies." It's that we were reconciled to Christ. Yeah, there yeah, is yeah. this, this is making this enemy a friend um, move that the Bible has. It's recognize the enemy, and then the 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 impetus is to make them a friend, yeah. to go from foe to friend. Well, right. no, and that's uh, that's actually a really good a really good reminder. Um, so, one category that neither of you guys have mentioned yet, but I think I definitely want to make sure we don't skip over this, is that there seems to be a particular kind of enemy that uh, I believe, Justin, you are correct that it is uh, they are being used by uh, our quintessential capital E enemy, the adversary, the accuser of the brothers, um, and and uh, and and I'm not afraid to say, like even demonic kind of forces. Um, that are actually like close to home. They're like they they look like us in many many ways, and there seems to be. Uh, and just previously before the podcast started, we were actually describing that issue, right? The enemies of the cross. Paul is in that letter is describing a group of individuals who um, probably are not opposing in some kind of a really. Uh, uh, overt way it's almost more of a covert way it's uh it's it's from the inside so and in a way that they wouldn't even recognize that they're opposing the exactly so there's it might even be a blindness mm-hmm. in in terms of where they're coming from they not they may not even be cognizant they may be well-intended people mm-hmm. um but i'll just i'll just label them as like paul labels them but wolves in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. so talk a little bit about about that as enemies that we need to be able to discern. So we got we got neighbor is an enemy, and what does that mean? We've got uh, the the kind of this, the spiritual powers on the other side, but then there's this one, and, and even the combatants against us, right? Yeah. But now we've all of a sudden got this other ones that are much closer to home. Yeah, it's the enemies that, and for all intents and purposes, are brothers and sisters in Christ, and then for some reason shift their doctrine or shift their life in such a way that they're they're outside of orthodoxy and orthopraxy correct doctrine correct living and when they're called out on these things because that's what we do as a community both for their good and the community's good and our good um they they don't respond through repentance and so over a process of doing these things that are meant for their good for correction for discipline for health for holiness for all these things um they choose to say, no, thank you. I hear what you're saying, but no, thank you. Uh, Paul has no problem saying, okay, just as God hands us over to our sin, 
we're handing you over to what you have now chosen. Rather than choosing the Lord, rather than choosing the Word, rather than choosing the community and responding with repentance and confession, you're choosing sin. And so we are now going to treat you as you have chosen to be yourself as an enemy of of the Lord, of the Word, of the community. And again, for the purpose that I'm going to kick out Hymenaeus because I yeah. want him to come back in. Yeah. Like it's always for the purpose of redemption, for their good, for the community's good, for God's glory. And so it's not vindictive. We're not murdering them. We're not burning them at the stake. We're literally saying, we're giving you over to what you have chosen because we want you to come back in and see like life out there in the darkness is not a good place. So if your doctrine and if your life doesn't match up with the Word of God, we're giving you over to those things. So any Ryan are there any are there any quick uh tells are there any quick uh ideas or practices that just really kind of are again dealing with the wolves in the sheep's clothing which is a which is a really kind of a powerful metaphor because you know it's not wolves in wolves clothing they're easy to find they're easy to recognize but it's the wolves in the sheep's clothing that the yeah. bible warns against so are there any quick tells that that just remind you okay yeah no this is this is who i'm dealing with this is what i'm dealing with yeah well in paul's case he he was often um chastising those who would distort the gospel so he he gets to the to the core message of the faith whenever the gospel is in his case is um added to often in terms of like um jew jewish customs and stuff like that um paul gets very fresh, and he says that's that's actually uh, that's, not only is that adding to the gospel, it is not a gospel at all. It's a distortion of the gospel, and it leads people um, astray. And so he speaks very strongly against that, particularly in say Acts fifteen, um, all of Galatians, um, places like that. He even deals with it in the Corinthian letters a bit. But I, so in in our case, I don't I don't ha- I, I've not yet met someone who wants to add circumcision or observing the feast of booths to what it must what one must do to be saved right the the famous question what must we do to be saved um i do see a very subtle shift in what um like our core message should be for a lot of people um and i'll just give a very quick example for some um it's fashionable as of late to say um, yeah, the church has always taught um, historically 2,000 years that humanity is just altogether sinful. And you can talk about whether that's inherited sin or just how I have. I mean, you can't meet a two-year-old that's not sinful. So there is universal sin. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a sinfulness that manifests in many ways. And what I see today is a new um, original sin is being talked about as racism specifically. And so I see this this um, co-opting of the gospel in terms of deliverance from your sin as an offense against God into now we, we talk about the gospel as a deliverance of your sin against a, a brother or sister who is of a different skin color than you. Mm. And it's, it sounds so kind. And hear me, like there's no room for racism sure, in the Christian sure, life. Sure. But when racism becomes the original sin and the, the, the alleviation of racism becomes redemption, don't we see that we've distorted the gospel now? Yep. And we start to really care less and less about the whole of the Christian life, which deals with all the sinfulness sure, in us. Sure. So that's so even so singling out. I mean, which is interesting, right? So this goes on both sides of the of the of the political or the social agenda. That literally, you have any kind of singling out of certain kinds of sins yeah. as the ones that we should care about the most. Really, 
is a, is a distortion of the gospel. For Paul, that was dietary sins. Like, yeah, it, no, we're not. We're not going to do that, that. That is not what the gospel is here to address specifically. It may address it in yeah, in yeah, some, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's not about that alone. Yeah. And so there's yeah there's any any kind of gospel that tries to knock the head off the dandelion and not deal with the root is the issue, right? Yes. And so you're saying you're right. There's no room for racism, sexism, uh, any any of those kinds of things. But but to just deal with that doesn't deal with the problems of the isms. I know, which is the sinism that actually exists behind all of us. And so we're we're really not dealing with the core issues. And anyone who's not dealing with the core issues is an enemy of the cross. You know, I, I one of my one of my one of the most interesting texts is found in um, in Second Timothy three, mm-hmm. and I, I I often think about this. It says hard times are going to come in the last days. That's verse one. People will be lovers. And so listen to this list. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited. I think it's the longest Pauline list. I'm not even done. Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then the next line, holding a form of godliness. Mm -hmm. It's like, what? How do you have that as a list? And holding a form of godliness. And and you can, in any kind of, on, on both sides of the quote-unquote spectrum, right, the social spectrum, um, there is this self-righteousness that exists. Um, and, and both of those sides can have a form of godliness that's the sheep's, uh, that's the... the the sheep's clothing, mm-hmm. having yeah. a form of godliness, but in the end, the heart is still broken. The heart is still corrupt. Yeah. The heart what do you is not do with dealt those with people? the gospel. Yeah, what do you do with those people? You avoid them. Paul, yeah. And I, I love that. I, I, I remember when I first realized just the depth of this text, I was listening to someone else preach it, not here at Sunnybrook. It was before I came here. And the guy was actually using this text, never read that part of the verse, but listed all those people and said, we should befriend them, we should hang out with them, we should love them. And I get what he's saying in like in evangelistic terms, but I said, I don't know how you're going to get out. And he just didn't even mention the, the last part of, I think it's verse five. So there is a, an avoidance that exists with enemies. Um, anything else? So, so we've talked about recognizing them. What, what, do, we, what do we do with them? How do we, how do we deal with them? I, I wonder if one of the, one of the ways that we could... Um exercise the avoidance piece that Paul talks about without without giving up the the fact that those people need to be reconciled to God again that's that's Romans 5:10 like the enemies made friends of God but what I think one of the ways that we can um think of avoidance innocence is to not allow that group to dominate the life of the church in terms of our time and our resources i mean how many times do we find ourselves with uh, with an issue going on, even within our own fellowship, and in and it's trending towards a wolf and sheep's clothing situation. And then by the time we turned around, it's like so many of us are exhausting so much of our effort and our time to deal with this one person that it's like, guys, hey, you, we still have a thousand other people to pastor, <laughs> right, and to lead and to and to help and to serve. Um, and I wonder if it's like to just let them sit in it. For sure, a while, sure. to I mean, Paul, Paul hands people like you said, hands them over to so that they would learn not to blaspheme. In a sense, to to sit in it, and and he, in a sense, kind of, yeah, you know, shake the dust off, wipe your hands, um, yeah. And, and I'll but tell it's you, never, it's never in a giving up on them way. Yes, yes. No, there's no room for us to give up on people. But and I would even say this: I think it's it 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 demands humility in us 
to say, I can't fix person X. Um, and I, I think that there's probably been a number of times in which I have been corrected by individuals I'm very, very grateful for in my past who've kind of handed me over to the ongoing work of the Spirit or to the ongoing work. Um, and I've probably been corrected more times than I can really know, uh, avoiding different uh, doctrines or different practices. Um, and I'm very, very grateful for the the ongoing work of the Spirit. So, um, Justin, anything you want to add to this in terms of like how we how we, and I, I don't think we're going to get totally exhaust it. Uh, definitely not in this podcast. I think this is going to have to be a two parter as well. But um, any other any other signs in terms of like how do we how do we, we we know who to recognize for the most part? How do we how do we deal with it? Anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, Jesus obviously says we are to um, get the log out of our own eye before going for the speck. Okay, so, good. like watching our own life and doctrine is really important. When we do recognize sin in our life or immaturity in our life, we respond through repentance and confession, and that leads to spiritual growth. Um, so that's really important for us. The, the, way, the best way to combat this is to be devoted to the Word and so that we know if our life and our doctrine are, are lining up. And then secondly, uh, I think of 1 Corinthians 5, and somebody in the church is like sleeping with their mother-in-law. And Paul, yeah, Paul doesn't say like, and I know it's going to be awkward and hard. So, you know, take your time with this. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. No, he says, you need to address this to fix this. This person needs to be uh, cast out so that he can hopefully repent and be saved. Uh, But if you don't do something about this, this is going to, this leaven is going to spread and mess with the whole community. It's going to have an effect. So you think it's just their issue and sure. their sin, their problem. Sure. I promise you it's going to affect you as an individual. Yeah. It is going to affect you as a congregation. And so don't for a second think that somebody who's acting as an enemy of the Lord and living as somebody who does whatever they want rather than what the Lord wants is not a big deal to you and to the community. Yeah, there's 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 examples of forbearance and patience and like the long, slow burn of working with sin. Matthew 18 provides some kind of framework for that. But then there's also examples of like the very decisive, no, this is, we're dealing with this now head on. He's gone at least for now until he learns to use some other phrasing, not to blaspheme. Yeah. Um, so last, last, last part of this one, and then we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk maybe kind of more of a, like a, a very specific outworking of this. Um, in, in light of the, the recent podcast that we've done on friendship, you know, we, we're, really, we're really looking at both of these, this idea of friends and foes, right, this four-part series that we're, we're dealing with, um, as, as the context for which we live our lives. Um, and you know, there's lots of reasons why this has become a big of a, a big theme for me. Some books that I've been reading recently, and some thoughts that I believe the Holy Spirit's been putting on my heart and on my mind, um, because we're dealing with complicated times, <laughs> in which there appears to be uh, increased levels of, uh, of of frustration and animosity towards one another. So I think it's really, really good for us to do two things: to strengthen our friendships. And then to to have a right understanding and a right approach, a biblical approach towards those who are not in agreement with us doctrinally and practically speaking uh, in our in our practices. So then, how do our friendships really like help and strengthen us in this area? And, and maybe Justin, going back to your uh, r- run through the idea of the speck in the log and how friends can be really, really helpful mm-hmm. in terms of helping us follow the biblical admonition that we begin with ourselves before we ever speak to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, true friends um, help you see what you can't see 
It's what one of the things Michael talked to us about, reminded us of at a retreat. So, yeah, that was our retreat. And that was really a, a good reminder. Like the Ryan's not being a friend to me if he's letting me continue to live in sin or letting me continue to have my doctrine not line up with the text. And and that's that's not loving. That's not kind for me, for him to do that. And so we need friends to help us see what we can't see, to help us ultimately become more like Christ. We also need friends to help us encourage us. So it's not just helping us see the bad stuff in our life, but helping us be encouraged maybe when we are discouraged or to have hope maybe when we're distressed and and all of those things. Man, one of the things that I'll, I'll never forget that we've done before is... Um, you know, as pastors, we get called into the, the mess of life all the time, all the time. And if you're having to do the mess of life alone, that's a big burden. But when you go and do that with someone, yeah. I mean, there is a courage that you have that's different. There is a camaraderie there. There is a unity there. There is a bond there. And um, getting to go and do those those house calls or those hospital calls with a brother, with a sister in Christ, man, and those and even if you're going to go into a, a church discipline type situation alongside a brother and sister yeah, in Christ, yeah. you have so much more courage and boldness. Like, am I crazy? Am I missing this? Or yeah, are they yeah. actually right right here? Or, yeah. um, are you know, is, is this situation beyond what I can do? And sometimes it is. And and actually us feeding off of each other is, is really helpful. Like Jesus, Jesus did this and he's God in flesh. He always had people with him doing the, the ministry. He sent them out two by two. Um, as you see Paul going through his, um, his whole life as a Christian, he's got folks with him. He's got an entourage of, of, of people who are devoted to the Lord, to the scriptures, and to the ministry. And I think sometimes we're so individualistic um, and we're so... Uh, Anyway, there's a lot of things that go into that, but we isolate ourselves at times and don't invite the kind of friendships that yeah. could really catalyze our growth in our ministry. Anything else you want to add? So, particularly dealing with foes, what, 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 what? How do how do friends function to as a, as a blessing from God? I think they can um, not only speak truth, as Justin has pointed out, but they can um, be balm on a on an open wound Mm because i mean there are a lot of fights that i'm right in but i don't win them yeah um they're they're i i've had uh, and if we're going to use the spiritual i've had like difficult conversations with people who you know both within and without the church um where i know and the spirit has made it evident that they are in error and i don't win them and sometimes I kind of come back home or come back to my office with a proverbial black eye and a bloody lip, and it's just good to come back and be affirmed. You did what was right. You are not wrong, and uh, and it's not to it's not to build Ryan up, but it's to make clear that yeah. no, the truth is yeah. there, yeah. and your black eyes are worth it, yeah. right? And so there is a an element of friendship that. Um, makes like the slugfest that is spiritual warfare more bearable. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, one one piece that I want to add to both of those, uh, and this really kind of started me thinking about it, was this book that I'm all a rave about right now called uh, a, a Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and a Great War uh, by Joseph Leconte, uh, who's writing on the friendship of Tolkien and Lewis. And the one thing that I thought that was so like soothing for me was that both of the both of these men and it was there was others actually that they just weren't as literary 
geniuses as, as those two were, uh, or at least they're not literally famous as, as those two are. Um, they were able to caution each other against the uh, the falling off the the wagon, so to speak. I mean, in the midst of life, there really can become this tendency for us to not only submit to the cultural temptations, um, but to also actually overreact against the cultural temptations. And so when you look at Tolkien and when you look at Lewis, either of them could have become, like the product of their times, uber-nationalists, Mm-hmm. So think about the context, late 1800s, early 1900s, all the way up to through the Second War. You have this real temptation, and in Europe particularly, like nationalism, which ever led to like fascism and communism and, um, and, and kind of an ongoing colonial imperialism that is clearly outside of the, the, the bounds of the gospel. And they could have gone down that road, and they chose to not. And then they could have gone on the other side, which was this uber idealism, uh, which which was kind of this anti uh, aspect of things. And they wouldn't go down down that road either. And and their friendship really kept them in check. And I I really think that's the beauty of mm-hmm. of friends is that it just reminds us of. And when I say centrality, I don't mean in kind of a, a watering away from both sides, but truly uh, a, a, the the gospel or the cross that is able to reach out into. Yeah, all of those different battlefields, so to speak. There was an occasion a couple of months ago with a, a friend, um, and she was she was in a dark spot, and she's like, "I can't, I can't read the Bible. I have no desire to. I can't pray." And I was able to tell her, and and I think it was encouraging because she's in a better spot. Okay, I'll read the Bible for you. Yeah, I'll pray for you when you can't. I will. And there is a there's almost like a um, like a, an anchoring to the ship that friends can do is yeah. like if you're floating yeah. a little bit. All right, I'm going to I'm going to stress myself to kind of keep you tethered to the boat, tethered to to the church. Um, so when you don't feel the the ability to pray, that's fine. The rest of us will do it for you. And yeah. I think that's a friendly thing. Yeah. And uh, in that's in kind of standing in the gap for people as they go through dark times. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay, I hope this has been a good start. We'll come back. I, re- I really want to spend a little bit more time talking about like what does the struggle look like and kind of getting say more like on the on the field itself and and talk about like what is what is our position? How do we um, what 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 should we be focusing on? What are our weapons? Those kinds of things because we don't fight like the world fights. So um, remembering we have a, a doctrine of love in the midst of the war. We have a doctrine of turning cheeks. So how do you do that? And what does that actually look like? Um, And we'll kind of unpack that in our next podcast.